Thank you. Cheers, man. Uh, yeah. Oh, it is lovely to be with you. Um, I do mean that. Um, real privilege as well. Uh, M messaged our guys. We're a little house church. After 15 years, we're still a little house church. And my heart is sometimes deeply proud of that and sometimes like, oh my goodness. But we love them. And then message yesterday, said, oh, Kev's, Kev's uh, do pray for Kev tomorrow because he's speaking and there might be like you know, a few hundreds of people, you know. So all messages, or two, two, a number of messages in this morning saying, oh, go on, Kev, and God be with you. So, um, and I, so I feel something really wonderful about being here, but also just carrying some of the love and something of people that you will probably, oh, unless your prayer team comes, but people that you may never meet, but just there's a beautiful connection in, in, the, in the body of Christ. And so I feel very blessed and very privileged to be here. Um, I, uh, I, uh, normally, I, I, if the occasions I get asked to speak in different places, not, not loads, but I sort of just speak out of what God's speaking to me often. Um, but God's been uh, challenged me a little bit recently on Psalm 62, verse 1, where David says, I waited patiently on the Lord in silence. And I'm, I'm not a patient man by nature. I'm a doer. I get stuff done, crack on. And I also talk too much. And I'm not a great listener, as my wife would say. So the idea of just waiting in silence, <laughs> I've sort of brought that into my own devotions at the moment in my walk. My prayer walk, I, I make myself, I cross the bridge over the river and at that point I stop praying. And then I walk up the curly-whirly river. And when I get to the corner, I start praying again. <laughs> and uh, it was in that context that um, I, I, I'd asked the Lord to give, give me something to bring to you. And he gave me two scriptures. Uh, so I'm going to preach them both. And I trust that uh, the Holy Spirit is very much at work I really sense that in our time together, and I believe that there's something more that he wants to do among us. And so I hope and trust that these scriptures uh, are for us this morning. I believe they are. Psalm 1 is uh, where we're going to uh, begin, and then we're going to flick to John 15 uh, uh, after that. Um, Paul talks in Colossians, don't, don't need to turn there, but he says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith. And I, I can't say for, uh, at all for sure that Paul had growing things in mind, but he talks about being rooted, built up, and established. And uh, these two um, picture passages, they're, they're rich in simile and metaphor, Psalm 1 and John 15. Uh, they're, they're both about growing things, as I'm sure you will know. And I trust that as we uh, meditate on these and uh, look at these, so the Holy Spirit will root us freshly and grow us uh, and establish our hearts in a fresh way this morning. That is my hope for us. So Psalm 1, uh, we'll just read it. Um, verse 1, blessed is uh, the person, it says the man, but it's a general term for everyone, for anyone, sorry. Blessed is the person who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the teaching of the Lord. And on his teaching, he, he meditates, he murmurs day and night. There was no silent reading back in the day. People would mutter and murmur over the Scriptures. It wasn't, there was no silent reading corner. So blessed is this man. His delight 
Uh, this person's delight is in the teaching of the law, uh, of of, uh, of the Lord, and on his teaching he med- he murmurs, murmurs day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf doesn't wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord embraces. The word knows there. It's not about, has knowledge of. It's, it's, intimate, it's intimate awareness of intimacy. Like when Jesus says, I know my sheep. It's a sexual term, actually. <laughs> when Jesus says, same here. It's, it's about that richness of intimacy. So it's not just facts of. For the Lord, and so embraces is a, is, a, is a really good word there. For the Lord embraces the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. It's easy to see why the ancients put this psalm at the beginning of the psalms, because it, it directs us to a, uh, into a life of choices for God uh, that flow out of a murmuring upon his truth uh, in order to live well uh, under him. And within it, there are two contrasting similes. So firstly, there is this person who avoids the counsel of the wicked with its tendency to empty things and instead has cultivated a life of murmuring upon the truth of the Lord. Murmuring on. That's the first, the first Image. And, 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 and that person then becomes a fruitful tree, wisely planted by a stream. It's an arid land, so water is scarce. And so in this psalm, the psalmist is imagining, the psalmist is hoping for a life as I commit myself to it. I don't sit with you over here, you, you scoffers and people. I sit with you here and I delight in this. And as I do these things, so I will be in this arid land, one who is planted bearing much fruit with leaves that are evergreen. It's constantly watered. And it says this person lives a fruitful life. They prosper, it says. That word we think of money, the, the better, a better understanding is that they advance mightily. They advance with confidence. They grow with confidence. That's the sense of it. It's not about money. It's about how we are in the earth. It's about how we live. It's like Genesis 1, 20, 28, where God blessed him and said, go and subdue man, male and female. He made them. Now go dominate the earth. Go subdue it. Go live well and confidently in the earth. It's that kind of sense, without fear. This is the hope of the psalmist, as I choose wisely who, with whom and where I sit, and as I meditate upon this book, so I will live in that way. And then there's a second image, Verse 4, shorter image. The ungodly, those who refuse to be shaped by the teaching of God. They're like chaff. I was on a farm. We were on a farm last weekend. Don't know much about farms, but we were with a farmer. And uh, he had a whole, great, uh, whole uh, um, shed, shed as big as this. And it was just a mountain of grain in it. It had all been separated. And uh, I picked some up and I just started eating it because I'm a bit like that. And uh, very good. But it had been separated, and that's the sense here in this picture. In the old way, you'd throw the grain up with a little husk on the outside of it, and it battered down, so the wind would carry off the husks, and it would be separated from, this sense of being separated. And that's the, the image there in uh, verse 
for and, the, and, and, and those who, who are not wise in where they sit and stand and walk and those who do not mutter and murmur upon this truth are separated from. These two very clear images and the hope of the psalmist, of course, is that his murmuring, his choices, her choices, her murmurings, her mutterings are going to lead to a life of fruitfulness and abundance and ultimately one that is embraced at the end of the psalm. The embrace is at the end of the psalm. So this man's fruitfulness in life is dependent upon what he or what she does. It's about where I sit. It's about what I do. And these choices will define my way. And God, who knows me intimately, will, I hope, embrace me as a result of my efforts. This is the flavour of the psalm. And I love this psalm, so don't, I'm not being, I love it. But that is the story of the psalm. Can't get away from that. This idea of evergreen leaves, I mean, it's beautiful. Job would struggle with that. Job, in verse, chapter 1, verse 1, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright. He had discernment about who he stood and sat and walked with. He was blameless and upright, one who feared God, who turned away from evil. That man is the, the epitome of Psalm 1. His leaves withered, his life withered. It was, it was all, he, he whittled down. You know the story, I'm sure. Family and health and his life. His leaves weren't permanently green in that sense. What was permanently green was his confidence, I will not curse God. That was, that was a permanence. But that's not what the psalmist has in mind. It's about, it's about an abundant life. Well, Job's life became that, but it wasn't always that. Solomon struggled with this idea in Ecclesiastes. He wrestles with this problem. There's something else that's meaningless that occurs on earth. The righteous who get what the wicked deserve and the wicked who get what the righteous deserve. It's not always green. Sometimes it's a bit withery, a bit crackly. <laughs> Despite the fact that we're mindful of where we sit, stand and walk. Despite the fact that we love this word, this precious word from the Holy Spirit. It's weird, isn't it? You ever think about the fact you read ancient poetry? Who would ever think that you do that? I'm reading ancient poetry. I'm a, I'm a soldier, me. That's my background. I'm not a, not a poet. <laughs> but I, for the last 30 years, I've been building my life on ancient, ancient things, writings. That's a strange thought. We're so ordinary, but, we're, <laughs> but we grow out of things that are like this, ancient poetry. And so there's something as we read this psalm that, that should kind of niggle us a little bit. It certainly blesses us and the images within it. But there is something in it that is, how does that work? As those of us who live in a different period. Because Galatians 3, 16 says, yet we know that a person is not justified. A person is not justified 
by the law. A person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. The psalmist, under a covenant that, that is different to the one that we live under, he's, he's doing what he knows. And he's giving himself to a life of not, um, uh, um, not being governed by uh, his, the things that are happening around him, perhaps his own desires, choosing wisely, and I hope that in this choosing and in this living, so God will embrace me at the end. That's the covenant. That's what it is. There is a hope. I love it that it's in this sense of intimacy at the end of Psalm 1. There's a hope for something intimate. There's an understanding that God isn't just facts and figures, but, but it's an intimacy. It's a knowledge of. But you can't be sure. He can't be sure. He hopes that he'll live more right than wrong. That's, that's his hope. But we know, yet we know, that a person is not justified by works of the law. We are not justified by that. We are not made righteous by that, by a devotion to these things, even to the Scriptures, even to our studies and our growing. We are not made righteous by these things. We are justified singularly by faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in him alone. There is no other justification outside the simple act of placing my hope and trust in Jesus Christ alone. And that's, that's, that's what we understand as those in the new covenant. And so let's listen to the words of this one whom we are justified through. So John 15, and we'll just make a few little connections with Psalm 1 as we go. John, 15, John is the only one to write about the abide in me teaching. No, none of the other disciples uh, uh, write about that. Uh, the, the, uh, the, the Gospels writers write about that. Uh, and, so, and it's really got to him. So when you read his letter in John 1, uh, it, sorry, in 1 John uh, chapter 2, it's, it's, it's all over him. In verse 6, whoever does the will of God abides forever. He talks about abiding in the light, verse 10. He, he, he says, uh, like... Uh, like, uh, like, sorry, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and the Father. There's, it's really got to him. John is very, it's, 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 and he's 90 years old or there, sitting in Ephesus, scratching out the gospel, drawing it up out of his life, out of his memories, out of his knowledge of, of walking with this Saviour of Jesus. And, and he remembers it. And then he writes about it in, in his letters. This abiding life. The anointing that you received from him abides in you, verse 27. And finishing off this section of the letter, he just references, so abide in him, verse 27. All right, this is the reclining disciple. This is the one who would sit, sit around a table and Jesus would sit here and, and John would sort of lay on him. The reclining disciple. I love that. I love it that he refers to himself in his gospel sometimes as the one whom Jesus loved. He gets a bad, he gets a bad uh, rep for that, I think. People think he's being arrogant. I, I just think that's what he knew. I think that's what he loved, that I'm loved. I think that's what, that was his passion. And so I'm the disciple that Jesus loved, not meaning that he didn't love anybody else, but he loved me. 
The psalmist doesn't know that. The psalmist, is, is, God is distant. God is Yahweh. God is nameless. God is, uh, there's a Messiah coming. Don't know him personally. Don't know a name beyond that. But for John, he knew him. And he knew he was loved by him. And it was personal. And this, abide, these, this teaching of abiding wasn't just a, something that, that, that he wrote about as a single teaching event from Jesus, but it, it, he carried it with him through his decades and writing and into his letters. It was precious to him. I am the true vine, verse 1, Jesus says, and my father is the vine dresser. Um, Jesus is the true vine, the sense that the name and the nature are the same substance. Jesus, the Messiah, the Son, the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. The name and the name uh, uh, and the nature are the same. He is the true vine. That's what it means. And my father is the vine dresser. And the word there is not Abba. It's not that, that kind of, that, that, that one that we love. It isn't that. It's, uh, it's, it's the word father. It carries a sense of nourisher, protector, upholder of. I am the true vine in the earth and my father is protector and nourisher. He's the one who cares. He's the one who provides, who nourishes and, and maintains. That's what my father does. The psalmist begins with himself. Psalm 1 verse 1. Blessed is he who does this, does this, does this. Doesn't do that. Jesus teaching, I, immediately, I'm not looking at myself. Praise God. Immediately, I'm drawn outside of myself to another. And not just to the Son, but to the Father. I'm drawn into something that exists for all eternity. A fellowshipping between Father and Son and Holy, I'm lifted into something outside myself. Not the psalmist. Begins with his best shot. (laughs) Some of us live like that. We're giving it our best shot. We're living under an old way. It's an old way of living. It's not appropriate. It wasn't bad. Jesus said, I won't do away with any of the law. But I've come to fulfill it. It has been completed. Why continue to try and complete something that has finished? (laughs) Why do that? It's a new way. And immediately Jesus is, it's, it's me. I am name and nature, utterly uh, true to one another. And the Father and his love and his care and his nourishing and protection and provision. And we're drawn up into that. We are immediately, we, we, we know John, John, John knows, obviously he's hearing Jesus talk. He's hearing him speak, but we're drawn into name. God is present. God is named. God is known by me. He's not absent. He's not far. Verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Verse 5 is very clear. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. We're the branches here. And every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, it says in the ESV. In the NIV, it says he cuts off, softened in the ESV. He takes away. 
I like to think of that fishing program where he says, and away. I'm not sure what takes away entirely means. The actual word for takes away or cuts off, whichever you read in there, literally means to raise up from the ground. That's what it means. Any branch in me that does not bear fruit, he raises up from the ground. A vine dresser did that stuff. They would prune for more fruitfulness and the, the branch is not bearing fruit because they're, 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 they've, they've fallen, they're, they're, they're not having enough light or they've had so much fruit they're just hanging on the ground. He would raise them. That was the work. The father lifts the unfruitful branches. Within the translation, it talks about um, the idea of, um, oh, where am I? Yeah, to take upon oneself, to, to carry, to bear the weight of. That's in the word, that's in the, that Greek word. And so the vine dresser lifting branches off the ground in order to encourage growth, bring, bringing into the light, stimulating growth. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. We struggle so hard with that idea. And perhaps some more than others, if you're a sort of, you know, impatient doer, competitive person, much like myself, the idea of being pruned is, is something of an anathema. And yet throughout the whole of the created order, if you want something to be very fruitful, you just continue a cycle of cutting back and pruning in order to cultivate more fruitfulness. We resist it. We, 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 we step back from the idea. Why do we do that? That's Psalm 1 thinking, that is. So Psalm 1 thinking is, I need to sustain my life. My choices need to be good enough in order that at the end I am embraced. That's Psalm 1 thinking. That's old covenant. We're, we're in the new covenant in Christ. And, and because we are in Christ, so the Father, his, his, his part of his role to us, if I can put it like that, is to nourish us, is to enable us to bear much more fruit. Jesus says, it's my Father's glory that you bear much more fruit. We're always in that, that tension, isn't it? That Jesus bringing attention to the Father and the Father says, oh no, no, all things have been placed into the hands of my Son. The Father elevates the Son. The Son elevates the Father. Fruitfulness just displays the glory of our wonderful triune Father, Son and Holy Spirit God. The word prune, I like words. I like reading stuff. Probably have too much time on my hands. The word prunes, it means to cleanse. It means to cleanse. We have a cherry tree in our garden. Some teachers at school, uh, um, uh, families at school bought me a cherry tree. It got so diseased, covered in canker. It's like sticky disease. So uh, oh, I, thought, I, I did a little bit of just tidying up didn't seem to do very much. So then I got really radical and I just cut off virtually everything. <laughs> and then it shot through. Now it's got the weirdest shape. It looks really, uh, it's not a beautiful sort of, you know, like that. It's this sort of 
big stump at the top and I've cut out most of it and then there's these three or four that have just took off. It's what the Father does. He cleanses. He, we, we resist it. Why do we do that? Why do you do that? Well, why? And, 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 and I would understand cleansing in the way that John writes about that when he says, if we confess our sins to one another, he is faithful and just and will cleanse us, purify us from all unrighteousness. I understand pruning not to be this passive thing that God just does as I stand, but it's a partnering with me. It's a willingness within me to say, please, Father, please, Father. We resist it. And yet everything that is in the Father, his entire approach to us, his entire approaching to us, I withdraw, I'm hiding it, there's a vine, I'm hiding behind others. <laughs> is there a, I'll get away from him. Why do we do that? Why do we find it so difficult to simply embrace the gift of repentance and say, yes, you're right. <laughs> We find it so hard. We, assign, we, 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 we align the gift of repentance with something of shame, like it shouldn't be happening. We have understandings of the Christian life that is this steady trajectory. I'm gathering speed and momentum. I'm finding my way, this mighty man. It's absolute nonsense. It's garbage. It's not true. It's not true. The, 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 the Gospels and the life of the disciples, even when they're anointed and spirit-filled, they're still working out their doctrine and trying to suss it all out. It's not true. We don't live this steady, pure trajectory. We abide in a man who has completed all things and fulfilled every expectation and requirement of the Lord. We live from him, and because we live from him, we bear fruit, and because we bear fruit, so the Father approaches in order that we bear more fruit. Where do we get these ideas? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The Father never looks at anyone in Christ. He doesn't condemn his son. He did once. He did once. Anger and fierce wrath placed upon the son. And it's separated. I don't know how that was for God. I can't imagine that he stopped loving him. But, but he... he poured it out upon him. He did once. Shame and condemnation. He's risen. He's seated. A seated king. All his enemies have been defeated. That's who he is. <laughs> he's, he's, he's the seed of the, the, the grain of wheat that fell into the earth and died and then multiplied out, filling the earth. That's who he is. And the father approaches the son. We are in the son. There is therefore now no condemnation, but we behave as if there is. We forget, we forget how it started. We sang about it earlier. Somebody, just, I can't remember the song, but just thinking back to when we were first, first born again, first saved. What did you, what did you bring? I mean, and whatever age you were, even if you were, you were saved at a young, young age, there was a moment where you realise it's not the faith of my faith, it's Jesus he loves me and he knows me. Others of us were, were, were saved out of all sorts of mess. I would be one of those. What did we bring? Absolutely nothing. We just brought mess. 
And the Father, the Father, looking out, looking out for the ones that has, somehow the Holy Spirit has begun to work and, and, and to be a work in the heart of a person. And they come, begin to come to their sin, don't know anything. I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything. Honestly, I wasn't raised in a Christian home and I, I knew nothing. I used to think that they recorded these talks so that they would put them in the book. That's what I thought. I had no frame of reference. But I knew, I believed slightly actually, that if I trusted in Jesus, then he would take me as I am because I, I'd run out of myself. And the old man, the old father in the story, we love that story. We forget that story. Why is that? Why is it that when we, the way in which we, we come to faith and are brought into the vine, why is it that God suddenly changes? Because we sin and we fail and we make poor choices, which we do, which we do, but suddenly God has become a kind of judgmental ogre. It's not righteous, absolutely, hates sin, absolutely. But his approach to me is the man in the story, the old man gathering up his skirts, Oh, you see, he's approaching and he's off. You, you can't stop him. It's undignified. Ancient men don't run. They're dignified men in the Middle East. They, they, they would never run. You can't stop him. He prunes. He cleanses. And his approach to you and I is, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. It's kindness leading me to. We, 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 we turn it on its head because we become like the songwriter of someone. It's suddenly our efforts, our maintaining of our lives. It's not true. It isn't true. There is a living out. There is a, a working out our, our salvation with true and trembling, fear and trembling for sure. But that's not the same as the sustaining uh, foundational work that has happened in me. I'm not the source any longer of my good works. Even the good works that I do, he's prepared in advance for me. They're not mine. <laughs> Repentance is a gift. I sat in a, I'm not going to get anywhere close to the end of this talk. So if it feels a bit up in the air, because I know that the Holy Spirit wants to do stuff. We'll have to live with that. I sat in a, uh, I, we're part of the Lighthouse team. And uh, uh, it is a team, but I know my place in it. I bring something particular to that. We flew in on Wednesday, uh, a week before last. First meeting on Thursday, there's ourselves and uh, two other guys, who David and Hurt, who, who lead with us. And there's another brother in the room who's there to help us. And we did the first, oh, without the other brother, we did the first session, it went great, it was all teamy and lovely and fantastic. And then the other brother came in and then suddenly I was in a posture. Like I do fighting. I, it's one of my things I do in polo, I do, do this fighting thing. And uh, I was in a posture like this, all defensive. And, um, and through this little meeting of an hour, I was reduced <laughs> And I had choices to make as to whether I was going to agree with God and my brothers and my wife who was sitting there with me about how I see myself. I see myself as lesser than others. And I do that because I compete with others. And when I compete with others, my default is to always be worse than. <laughs> Years of living a small thing in a small place doesn't help me in that. And I, 
And, and, and this guy's speaking to me. And then Hurt, who's a, he's a dear Dutch friend, he said, Kevin, stop. He said, what you're saying about what this man has just said isn't what he said. You, you've reinterpreted that. And, and I, I sat and I was teary and I was confessing. But I, I just, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm believing lies about myself which then determine my relationships with others. Oh, it's art. And I didn't want to do it, partly because I, you know, it'll lead the thing. It's only day one. <laughs> We've got day two. Oh, yeah, I've got to get over the getting over this thing. I've got to get up the next morning and, you know, crack on. <laughs> and then we've got RM days the following week. And oh my word, it's really hard. It's always a choice. Humility. It's never it's rarely natural. Not real humility. Feeling bad for ourselves isn't humility. Humility is embracing a truth. That is not my truth. But I will live that truth and not my perception of it or my, my story, my lies. That's hard to do that. <laughs> but in the, the following days, I felt so, so released. Um, I run. Uh, I, I always run. I was only at Goff and Angie's a couple of days out running. I said, Goff, where shall I go? He said, well, down and around, turn right, turn right. Uh, turn right, turn left, up to the roundabout. I said, yeah, yeah, got my shoes on, off I go. I turn right, I turn right. I'm down at Norwich Football Club. I've gone the wrong way. I always get lost. I always get lost. You know, I just don't listen very well. I got lost in a Polish forest one, and I got really lost. And runners, uh, if you're anything like me, you don't stop running. Yeah, and you certainly don't ask anybody for directions. You never do that. You just keep running. Just keep going. So you can, it's amazing how far you can go. <laughs> when, uh, it's just amazing. You just keep going. I've been going for about an hour and a half here. This is good. But I'm still lost and the sun's going down. It's getting dark and I'm in a forest and I don't know the way back. And then you see the broken silver birch tree that you, and you knew it because it was different to all the others. And you see it on the track. And the relief. Oh, the relief in that moment. Repentance is like that. The gift of repentance. It's a way out. It's a way out. And honestly, and you don't stop running. It doesn't kill you. You don't think, oh, I'm exhausted. Oh, you see, and you're inspired. This is what it's like in the natural for me. You run, and then you run to it. You don't just stop there. I'm not going to stop and hang out at the Silver Birch Street. It's getting dark. I need to get home. But I know where I'm going now. <laughs> I know the way home now. That's repentance. That's repentance. And when the Father cleanses and prunes us, it's to that end. It's a feeling of relief, something I've been carrying. I'm not built for. Not made for. And yet there is still that resistance because we have an enemy, because we have flesh, because we have all sorts, because we have a background and a history, because of a million things. And we have to fight our way through to Jesus and find him with the understanding that as I release this to you, it's not judgment. There's no shame here, actually. Actually, this is indicative of the fact that I belong. I'm only embracing this gift because, because I belong. <laughs> it's a fruit of my life in him. The person that never repents, I think, well, where's your faith? Where's your life? 
He's the righteous one. And I know we have his righteousness, but this isn't righteous. This isn't righteous. These aren't righteous. Not in the way that his are. Repentance is evidence of. It's a wonderful gift. And I'll see it and I'll run home as if nothing's happened. <laughs> that was a long run, says M. You was like, yeah, it's a great run. Don't bother telling I was lost like an idiot in the middle of nowhere. That was just a great year. It was really long. I think I really, you know, built up my quads there. You know, it's good. <laughs> but that is also the gift of repentance. We come into something that we've been released from. You know. I've got a ton of notes and I can see the time. And I think I'm going to stop there. And I've realised that I haven't uh, done been as diligent with those verses and I realise that there are some things that Jesus says that are difficult uh, perhaps to understand uh, but I'm going to perhaps have to leave that to others because I do I do truly believe that the Holy Spirit wants to do wants to minister to us this morning in those two two images of being raised from the ground We just, close, just stay where we are, but we just close our eyes and just centre our hearts for a moment. Yeah. Yeah, I do believe that the Father is here. The gift of the Father. We forget that sometimes. Jesus calls him the gift of the Father, the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Father is here. And for some, there is that sense of, I'm just sort of lying on the ground. And I, 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 I'm not who I want to be. It's not necessarily sin or anything like that. It's just, I'm just, I'm just out. I don't know quite why even. But I believe that the, the Holy Spirit wants to raise you this morning. Wants to breathe faith and life and fruitfulness into your soul this morning. If that's you, would you stand, please? I'd like you to be raised up physically because I would like to pray for you. Bless you. The rest of us are happy just with our eyes closed. That's really fine. Bless you. Holy Spirit, this is, this is, uh, this is not just a gathering place of men and women. Lords, we are here to receive your life and your ministry this morning. And I pray for every, every brother and sister who has stood for whatever reason. Come now. Come. Come and in the name of Jesus, we just break off every lie that would confine you to that place. Every lie that would reduce you to, well, this is kind of where you ought to be. We break that off in the name of Jesus. We break it off because it isn't true, because your life is from the vine. Your life is from Christ, and he is the life source to you. And so, Lord, I, I do break that off in Jesus' name and speak fruitfulness. Speak fruitfulness. Receive that. By faith, we receive these things. Receive that. We break off every, every entanglement. Every entanglement and lie and, and deceit of the evil one that would confine you because the Father is the vine dresser and he raises you. 
He raises you because I've risen, you will rise, Jesus says in John 14. He, he raises you. He lifts you. He lifts you this morning. Come, Holy Spirit. There are others here this morning, like me, who need the gift of repentance. They just know when I'm talking, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. And that the Father approaches you with love and tenderness and wisdom. And he wants to relieve you of a burden this morning through repentance and faith. If you know that you need to be, you need to, Allow the Father to come and prune something out of your life this morning. Can you stand, please? I'm not going to ask you to name anything. That, that's, that's not right. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Let's just, just open your heart. The gift of the Father to you. To you today in this moment, as you stand, a willingness to, to release, a willingness to let go. Holy Spirit, come with your cleansing fire. Come with your cleansing fire and authority over sin and all that it entangles and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Lord, I pray now in Jesus' name for the fire of the Holy Spirit, not just to wash over, but to take out the root, to take it out, that there will be freedom in Jesus' name to all those that have stood for that. Please, Jesus. What? There is therefore now no... There was therefore... There was, therefore, before you stand, there was, therefore, no condemnation. Standing and acknowledging doesn't relieve me of condemnation. Christ did that. We are justified by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Receive his power and his anointing to live, live, to run with freedom and joy. Find your way home and be free. We release that in Jesus' name. By the power of the Holy Spirit, with your authority, Father, we, 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 we welcome your ministry to us by your Spirit in your Son. Jesus. And can we all stand? And can those who haven't stood, could you just place hands on brothers and sisters? And can we be a body and a family together? Just lay hands. Don't ask questions at this point at all. Just lay hands and let us bless one another with love and friendship as, well, I don't know, 300 or so branches <laughs> together. That's right. So please pray. Please bless those who have stood. Lay your hands and bless them. Ooh, love, 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 love. 
If you're receiving the Father's ministry to your heart to remove something, I would encourage you the power of confessing our sins to one another. Not here and now, but to someone that you know, love and respect outside of this meeting to share what has happened to you. It was, it was so instrumental in my own heart 10 days ago that others, I was able to acknowledge what was happening with others. I want to encourage you that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will purify us of all our unrighteousness. So I do want to encourage you in that, but, but not here, not now, at a different time.